I don't know if I said it a minute ago, but my name is Jeff Kincaid. I'm the lead pastor here at City Church. And um, again, I just want to thank you guys for being a part of this. I know that uh, we're all kind of scrunched in this morning, and uh, you probably would like for me to keep my comments short. Tough luck. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm kidding you. I'm going to keep my comments very short this morning. I want to take you to a, a small but very powerful passage that I think encapsulates what we're about as a church. And it's also been a very landmark passage in the history of Christianity. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's printed in your little uh, program that you got this morning. Um, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I should mention to you, too, that next week we're going to start our very first series here at City Church, and it'll be called uh, The Story of the Missing Son. And I'd love to have you come back for that. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be a great series, and I think it'll be one that challenges you and that completely flips your understanding of Christianity uh, upside down. Um, Romans was written by the original church planter. His name was the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this, uh, obviously, to the, book of, uh, to, excuse me, to the church of Rome. And he says in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, uh, I'll read it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for, uh, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then he says in verse 17, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, uh, the righteous will live by faith. Um, I want you to notice that the central idea in these verses is that Paul wants to explain to these people, uh, he says, I want you to understand why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here's another way to put that. He, he wants them to understand why he's so obsessed with the gospel. Why, why everything that he has centers around the gospel. Everything that he says, everything that he does, everything that he preaches and teaches, it's all centered around the gospel. He wants them to understand that. Now, be, because I want to keep my comments pretty short this morning, I, I can't go into everything that he says here in Romans 1, uh, 16 and 17. But I do just want to point out three reasons that he gives uh, quickly, three reasons that he gives for why he's not ashamed of the gospel, why the gospel consumes everything he says and does. And the first thing he says, he, you notice this, he says in Romans 1.16, he says, it's the power of God. The gospel is the power uh, of God. Now, one of the things that he's doing when he says that it's the power of God is that he's trying to make a distinction between the gospel and religion. Right, because in religion, you are given, um, you're given a code of conduct. And the code of conduct is there so that you can pacify whatever God it is that that religion worships. And so it's up to you. Here's the code of conduct. Do this, you'll pacify the God. Don't do this, you won't pacify the God. It's, co- it's totally up to you. So the locus of power in religion is always you. Did you live up to the code or not? That's, religion is about, it's, it's the power of man. But the gospel is exactly the opposite. Yes, there's a code. It's summarized in the Ten Commandments. But what the gospel says is, it says, because you are more sinful and broken than you ever dared believe, you could never live up to that code. Whatever code we give you, you could never live up to it, God says. You could never live up to that code. 
And so, not only are you more sinful and broken than you ever dared believe, but you are also more loved than you ever dared hope. And so the gospel says that what God did is that he, he, he did it for you. You could never live up to that code. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live up to that code, to die on a cross for your shortcomings and for mine. The Bible calls that sin. And he was raised again from the dead. Gospel says that you could have never lived up to that code. You'd have spent your whole life feeling guilty and worried, maybe totally self-deceived, thinking that you are living up to the code, but you're really not living up to the code. So God did for you what you could never do for yourself. That's why Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. It's not the power of man, as in religion. The gospel is completely different. It's the power of God. God has done the work for you that you could never do on your own. That's the first reason he gives. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. Second reason he gives, it's in verse 17. And I'll just, I'll just read the whole verse again to you. He says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He's talking about the righteousness of God here. Three times he uses that word righteousness. And I'm a little nervous. I've got to be honest with you. I'm a little nervous speaking from this passage uh, this morning because I, I thought to myself, man, um, he talks about righteousness three times and the word righteous really doesn't have a good reputation. Would you guys agree with me on that? That the word righteous doesn't have a good reputation? Because I think what most people think of, when you think of the word righteous, you think of people that are um, so morally pure that they're like uptight and they're kind of mean. They're so, they're so good they're evil. You ever known people like that? They're so good they're bad. And they're smug and they're arrogant and pretty critical. And I think most people, when they hear the word righteous, they think that, that all that the word righteous is, they think is just it's a religious word. But that's not right. That is not, that's not true at all. The word righteous, as it's used in the Bible, is a very relational word. And the word righteous, as it's used in the Bible, is a word that means to be right with someone, to be accepted by someone, uh, to be validated by someone, to be welcomed by someone, to find favor with someone. The opposite, the opposite, by the way, of righteous is not immorality. The opposite is rejection. So let me, let me just give you an example or two. You ever been on a date? Anybody here? Well, let's just start there. Anybody here ever been on a date? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> if you've been on a date. Uh, if you've ever been on a date and you wanted to go out with the date, you know, the guy or the girl again. Righteousness is him calling you the next day, which that never happens, right? But he calls you the next day, and he says, let's go out again. Or she says, yes, I'd love to go out with you again. That's, that's righteousness, the sense that they dug you, you know, that, that, that they found you acceptable. You were righteous in their eyes. That's righteousness. Here, here's another example. You ever, you ever been on a job interview for a job that you really wanted, and they call you back, like the next day or, or a week later, whenever it is, they call you back and they said, of all the candidates, you were the one that we liked the best. You know that feeling? That feeling of fe- just feeling affirmed and received and welcomed and like you found favor with someone and that they, they, they dug you. That's, that's a sense of deep fulfillment. That's That's righteousness. It's being accepted and received and welcomed. It's a very relational word. 
righteousness. And because it's such a relational word, I want you to just consider this. I want you to consider that it is, it's not just a religious word. Everyone that you know, me and, and you and uh, uh, Kim Kardashian and uh, Kanye West. By the way, who names a child Northwest? That's a whole other thing. But uh, everybody, we're all striving. We're all longing to be righteous. Everyone is. All of us want to know that we're acceptable to somebody. All of us want to know that we're worthy in someone's eyes. Because, look, just admit, none of us are self-validated. None of us. I don't care. You can tell me you don't care what anybody thinks about you, and I will tell you, you are a liar. You know you care what somebody thinks about you. None of us are self-validated. All of us have some set of standards that we've adopted that we have to reach to be worthy and acceptable. And next week, when we start this series, we're going to talk about two major ways this manifests itself in people's lives. But I just want to, just want to make the point today that, that all of us have some set of standards that we feel like we have to reach in order to be acceptable or righteous. And so for some people, like it might be uh, being very successful um, in your career and making a lot of money. Some people, it might be having your mom's approval or your dad's approval or belonging to the right clubs. You know, maybe you're like, man, I got to belong to that club and then I'll know I'm righteous. Um, having the right seats at the Evansville Aces games, uh, being a great cook, uh, being the most beautiful, the most stylish, uh, having the most Twitter followers of all of your friends. By the way, I don't know if you know, you can follow me on Twitter at J.S. Kincaid. <laughs> And, um, and for most of us, you know, it's like it's a combination of things. We want to be righteous. Everybody does. Religious, irreligious, it doesn't matter. Everybody wants to be accepted. That's, that's righteousness. It's knowing that you're validated. And the Bible says that it's a hard way to live. Striving to be righteous. That's a very hard way to live. The Bible tells us that you know, if you're striving to be righteous all the time, you end up with either guilt or insecurity or anxiety or depression. It's a very hard way to live. Guilt in the sense that you, you, know, you feel like, well, I haven't measured up to those standards, whatever they are, whatever my standards are, I haven't measured up. Or insecurity, wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Or anxiety, that something's going to get in the way. Maybe, you know, I I might not be able to live up to that standard. What will happen if if she does this? Or what happens if he does that? Then I, I can't live up to that standard. Or depression. Listen to this. Depression because you did meet whatever the standard was that you had but you still don't feel like you're there. You still don't feel like you're righteous, accepted, validated. I was living in Dallas. Uh, Some of you know my wife and I uh, and our kids are from Dallas. We moved up here about a year ago. When we were living in Dallas, uh, Troy Aikman won his first Super Bowl while we were living in Dallas. And I'll never forget 
I remember him saying after the game that he sat in his hotel room and he wondered to himself, after he won that Super Bowl, he wondered to himself, is this it? Because he was like, you know, I, I worked all my life for this and then is this it? And parenthetically, I know this isn't what we're talking about today, but let me just say this, guys. Um, you, know what a, you know what a midlife crisis really is, men? Midlife crisis is that you've been striving all of your life to accomplish something so that you will feel righteous, accepted, validated, affirmed, like you're worth something. It's striving all of your life to realize that, to achieve that, and then realizing at some point you get there and realizing that you're still not there. That's what a midlife crisis is. And it's just like this moment of going, I'm never going to get there. What I've put all of my effort and energy into uh, is never going to get me to that moment of feeling like I'm righteous and validated. The Bible tells us that every human being, all of us, we we all go along, we're, we're striving to cobble together some sense of righteousness on our own, and what we reap out of that is guilt and anxiety and insecurity and depression, while all the while, Romans 1, 16 and 17 sits here, and it tells us there is a righteousness that comes from God that he offers. He offers that sense of acceptance and validation. He offers it through faith in Christ's work on the cross, not your own striving. So you can strive all you want. You'll never get it. But here here it is. Faith in Christ's work on the cross, not your own work. And God gives you a sense, at that moment, a sense of righteousness that nothing, nothing or no one can ever take away from you. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, man, because it's the power of God. And then he says, he says he, God gives you a sense of righteousness that nothing else could ever, nothing else could ever give you. So power, righteousness. And then here's the third thing, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. He says, he says, it brings salvation to everyone who believes. And he says, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And, you know, in Paul's culture, uh, people were either a Jew or a Gentile. I mean, it's still true, but in Paul's world, you you were really divided by just Jew or Gentile. So you could change it here in Evansville. You could say, well, you know, salvation's available to everyone. Uh, first for the West Side, or then for the East Side, or you could do that, or or you could say you could say first for the Hoosiers, and then for the Boilermakers, and then you could say first for people in Indiana, and then for people in Kentucky. We're that's stretching it, isn't it? People in Kentucky, um, you, could say, you know, for the rich, for the poor, for the middle class, for blacks, whites. Uh, Paul says it's salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone. And that's, that's Paul's message. And it's our message too, as a church. I wanted you to understand who we are and what we're about. And I can just encapsulate it by saying that we're not ashamed of the gospel at City Church. In fact, we have this tagline that you'll often see with our logo, and it says, it says, this changes everything. And the this that we're referring to is the gospel, which is symbolized by the cross uh, upon which Jesus died. We believe that the gospel is the power of God, and we believe that the gospel has mind-blowing implications 
for the world. And we believe that the gospel changes everything and everyone that it comes into contact with. We happen to believe that the gospel can change the world. And we happen to believe that, in fact, the gospel has changed the world. Can I just give you one just give you one small example of, of how the gospel has changed the world. There are so many I could give, but let me just, can I just give you one? Like, of course I can. I'm standing here speaking. What are you going to do? Say, no, you can't? I'm going to give it to you anyway, no matter what. Here, here it is. It's just, I just want to close with this one powerful example that you may not be aware of. Some of you know from your history, you know that the slave trade uh, in the British Empire was abolished in the 18th century by primarily the work of a Christian man by the name of William Wilberforce. What you may not know is that Wilberforce was led to Christ and mentored by a man by the name of John Newton. And Newton himself was a slave trader until he began to realize that it was wrong. And then Newton became very politically and Christianly involved actively in working to abolish the slave trade. Now, here's the thing. To you and to me, in the 21st century, we're like, well, of course slavery is wrong. I mean, that's a no-brainer to us, right? We, we get that. We understand that. But back in John Newton's world in the 18th century, you have to understand, everybody, everybody was in the slave trading business. I mean, it was like every, it was, it was, it, it was part of everyday life. You guys, any of you remember the movie Amistad? You remember that? You remember the hero of the movie uh, Amistad? In real life, the hero who freed all the slaves, in real life, they don't tell you this in the movie, he went back to Africa and he became a slave trader himself because it was so common. I mean, it was like part of everyday life. It was all around you. It's like a, it's like a bad smell that's around you so much that you can't smell it anymore. That's what it's like, slave trading. And it's just like an evil that permeated everything. So here's the question. Here, this is what I want you to catch. In a culture in which everyone assumes that slave trading is okay, how in the world does a guy like John Newton come up with the idea that it's wrong? It's like, like fish, you know, when fish don't think about, uh, they don't consider life outside of water, Right? And if there were a person that had never seen uh, sunshine, they'd never be able to conceive of light. How in the world, when you live in a culture in which slave trading is, is everywhere, it permeates the whole culture, how in the world do you ever come up with the idea? Where do you come up with the idea that, well, maybe this is wrong? Where do you come up with that? John Newton came to a place that he believed in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And after many years of reflecting on that, he finally came to the conclusion, he realized that if Jesus Christ died on the cross for every human being, that the value of every human being must be so incredibly great that you would never you should never do something so inhumane to a person as to treat them like a slave. That's where he came up with it. And then through his work and his mentoring of Wilberforce, the slave trade was abolished in the British Empire and ultimately around the world. 
Now, that's just one example of how the gospel changes everything. Gospel changes everything and everyone it touches because it's the power of God and it bestows a righteousness of God on anyone who believes. And this is the message of City Church. It's what we believe as a church. It's what we're about. It's, it, it will always be the center of what we do. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe it's a message that all of Evansville needs. We believe that it can change the city of Evansville. And we hope very much that you'll be a part of this church. And we hope that you will help us change the city of Evansville. Let me close this here in a word of prayer.